ACAST. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I don't even look, just be careful with you. Okay. Like casting aspersions on Abbey Road in the first 10 minutes of season two. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Plain does not speak for the podcast when he complains that I want you, she's so heavy, goes on for too long, which for some people is like one of the most significant tracks they've ever heard in their lives. Oh, so okay. So okay. If, okay. if you if you take your shoes off for the photo shoot, you you've produced a wonderful album. Um, all right. This is so salty. I love it. I'm in the freaking conference room of a he just comes out guns blazing against Abbey Road. That's where we're gonna start. That's the hill you want to die on. I know I love it. Abbey Road. That's your windmill. That's the women. Okay, you've had it with being nice. You guys Abbey Road, Octopus's Garden. Fuck those guys. You guys are so lucky Gordon Lightfoot didn't put out an album in 69. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. I can't wait for your hard quizzing. That's going to work out really nice. Fellas. Jimmy! Oh, my God. Are you? Are we back once again? Are we back once again? We are back once again. It's been a minute uh, since yeah, we got man. together. This Here we is go. season Here we two. Go. Here we go again. <laughs> We've Boys, got a lot, we a lot of stuff uh, to take care of right off the top. Uh, first of all, Jeff, you're at Berkeley doing well? Doing great. Sun picked is up, shining. Picked up golf. I... Um, like everybody else, apparently in the pandemic was looking for things you can do outside. I played my first round of golf in 16 years last Thursday. It's it was first big. of all, this is not okay. <laughs> I am not here for golf talk. I am a 50 year old white man and I'm happy say. to talk about my colonoscopy, but not golf, <laughs> not golf, See, well, never golf. On, on the, on the eighth hole, there's a slight uphill and there was okay. a pendling it. I'm read uh gentle listeners i i truly suck a lot but it okay. was fun all right ben barton you're back in knoxville after some travels yeah man totally Do, summertime well. uh just writing and working digging it great i've been to new orleans i've been to orlando i've been to dc uh today a little philadelphia in my soul i told uh martha if she goes to school in philly She's going to have to sing Hall and Oates to her father over the phone. So she's going elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, totally. It's community college for her then, huh? 
Where are you right now? What what conference room are you gracing? And uh, I'm in a Homewood Suites uh, yeah. conference room somewhere off of uh, 95 North in the uh, dreadful Northeast corridor here. It's All right. There, you're not going to believe there's a little bit of a construction uh, going on. So traffic was tough today. <laughs> uh, but we have several items to, to tick off. Um, uh, are we still going to be called 50 years of music with 50 year old white guys? Uh, arguments to change, arguments to stay the same. Go. I have no arguments to change. Once you're branded, you're branded. We're not going to fall. Are you pitching a, a new, new Coke, Coke situation debacle. on us? Well, as we get farther and farther, as we grow older, as we no longer are 50 year olds, do we do we need to change? I got a long way before I'm not a 50 year old. I'm a 50s year old for another decade, <laughs> my man. OK, yeah. keeping uh, keeping the title. Um, bad news on the uh, contract negotiations with the robot lady. I'm not sure she's on board for season two. She um, she's not as upset about pay. Apparently, I did not tell her how to pronounce Sufjan Stevens because I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Ben, how do I pronounce his name? It's a silent J, my brother, Sufjan. Sufjan. Yeah, so she's still mad that she's uh, been recorded pronouncing his name wrong. She wants just... Tim, I'm sure that's what it is. That's what she's mad about. Just keep yeah. telling yourself that. That's That's good. I got some marriage she's counseling for you, my friend. That's not what she's mad about. She's she definitely loves, not mad at Robot Man for some reason. She loves the show. Um, <laughs> all right. We are 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys on the still, Music still City that. Podcast Network. You got to go to the Music City Drive-In Podcast uh, website, and you're going to find all sorts of great content, especially as football season gets into gear. Our um, uh, head guy, Ricky, is all over it on the Twitterverse. He's he, making he old fantasy football predictions today on Twitter that I have. Okay. And loving Fast 9, which I sadly yeah. have not seen yet, but uh, that's but mostly my daughter's fault. I'm, I'm on my way. All right. How do we explain Jeff Simon's uh, season two? Go ahead. Give it to the listeners. Maybe there's a new listener out there who's like, wait, what is this? Go. So uh, the way it worked is we did a first season. <laughs> <laughs> no so bad in season one we each picked our our favorite song from 1969 and the word favorite what had uh, a lot of different definitions and we were loose in in our uh in our understanding this year we're going to the best album of every year that we've been alive going all the way back to 1969 and coming forward so instead of the individual track we'll be celebrating a full record for everybody to check out. Um, there are self-imposed rules by some of the participants, which hopefully will keep things interesting. Um, but this, since we yeah. all have Spotify and we all have access to all this great music, we're gonna try to expand the palettes. That's the plan. Terrific. And um, and we're not repeating an artist. So so once we pick an artist, that artist is done. No, no we have no buy-in on that whatsoever. So ben, no, we, I'm not. I'm going to repeat stuff from last season. I'm going to oh, that's artists. fine. I'm repeating whatever I feel like. I'm just going to repeat a lot. So Ben has no rules. Tim, is no, I have a lot of rules, but that's not one of them. Okay. Well, let's let's. Why don't we just each do our rules then? Tim, what are you following last season's rules? You get every each artist twice, and that's it. No, I I get each artist once. So if I've picked an artist, I can't pick that artist again. Okay. I'm not going to talk about anybody we talked about last season. 
which is well, we've agreed that's insane. In season one, I'm not going to pick that artist in season two. So there's okay. about there's about a hundred artists off the table for me, and I'm not going to double up in this season an artist. So I'm okay. going to try to talk about 51 different artists from last season. All right, Ben, what are your self-imposed rules? So first, I want to remind everyone that this is not an album of the year or a song of the year podcast. It sometimes is, but it not always is. We are not choosing the single best artistic statement album from that year, which by the way, is what you might expect from <laughs> this format. That's not There's what we're doing. There's a million of those though. There's a million of those. We're doing, it, it gets personal, it gets off. weird. Some of these albums will be my favorite album from that year. And in fact, there's a couple of albums that I just can't say no to that just were my favorite album for five years. And I don't even care. That's it. I'm just choosing that. Huh. Um, then, that would be the Leonard Skinner. You got that right. Uh, it, first of all, it's just going to be Steve Miller's greatest hits. That's it. I'm just going to do that. That was my favorite album when that I was 14. I'm just going to do that Woo! for years. That is painful. Um, all right. Well, and let's... then some of them are, the, some of them are that. Some of them are, in fact, the best album from the year. The best years that I choose will be ones where it's both, where it's arguably the best album from the year and that. And um, I'll repeat things and I'll do whatever I feel like, basically. That's how we're going to do it. Great. Oh, oh, but I will say, it's got to be a good record. Meaning, like, I can't be like, oh, yeah, I really like this song. This song was amazing. And I think there was another good song or two. Like, it's got to be like, oh, dude, I'm telling you. Just go ahead and start a side one, track yeah. one. You're going to like it. I'm and, glad to hear you say that. That's and, great. And and I cannot subscribe to that philosophy. Yeah. Oh, boy. Anyways, I'll get to my uh, album philosophy in a little bit. We want to hear from the Grammy uh, organization, Jeff Simons. A lot of albums came out in 1969. It's the Grammy winner. Blood, Sweat, and Tears by Blood, Sweat, and Tears. You're kidding me. Oh, man. Look at that cowbell. More cowbell. This is that white soul act, right? What's the name of this band? Come on, you can get it. Al Cooper. Or as I like to call them, Bad Chicago. That's what this oh, is. Oh, yeah, that's rough. No, for sure. I desperately wanted to pick Chicago I, I, for sure. First of all, that is a white soul act, right? I got that right? Yeah. Blood, sweat, and tears. Oh, yeah. Beautiful. Off of off the album, blood, sweat, and tears. That's your Grammy eponymous. winner. Eponymous, the eponymous album. Yeah, but not blood, their first record. They did the band thing where the first record was called "Child Is Father to the Man," and the second record was called "Blood, Sweat, and Tears." <laughs> <laughs> they really they they hit the rich load right there. They won a Grammy. That's uh, well, super unfortunate. It's so interesting that in 1969, this is the act that wins the Grammy because I do think this, the Grammy voter thinks this is an act of the time. So they're not reaching back to the 50s with Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Well, what was the name of the song? The song was worse than this album. I mean, that's terrible, but it's not as bad as the song. Spinning Uh, Wheel song. No, no, he's saying that won the the Grammy. um, It was Joe South, Games People Play. Right, it's not as bad as that. Yeah, I thought it was uh, the other one, Let the Sun Shine. And- no, that was the number one hit. So we're going to hear yeah. the number one album in a second, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we're not fans of Blood, Sweat, and Tears. No, I'm not a big Blood, Sweat. I, I think Bad Chicago is exactly what, like, <laughs> Chicago 
They're the first Chicago record is strangely yeah. wonderful, and then they become a horrible act in the '80s when they become like the Karate Kid soundtrack band. But like they're a rock and roll band with horns. Blood, Sweat, and Tears is a jazz combo playing with a distorted guitar, and yeah. that there's a there's just a there's a Maginot line there that they don't overcome. And I like Al Cooper. He's got a great he's a great rock and roll story, and his autobiography is really entertaining. But uh, I never liked these guys at all. And and just to, if you are a new listener, just to give you some some understanding of who we are, I owned the Karate Kid album, uh, and Chicago is not on it. And and I came to oh, Chicago. It's Peter Cetera, in, solo. I came to Chicago in the eighties, so I know uh, of what I speak. My apologies. Right. Well, we're gonna play a game uh, <laughs> called "People Who Died." Uh, in honor of Joe, Smout, Joe South, these are all people who died in 1969, just to give us an understanding of the time period. I'm going to say one word, and you all can start guessing the name of the person who died. Okay? And I'll, if you don't get it, I'll just say another word until someone wins. Rainbow. Kermit the Frog. Judy Garland. Judy Garland died in 1969. That was better than mine, I think. <laughs> I think Kermit was born in 1969. I think actually. so, too. Um, all right, second one. Boxing. Ray, Ray Marciano. What? Uh, Rocky Marciano. That is correct. Jeff Simons, 2-0. Two nil. Two nil. All right, third person who died. Trail. Communism, Vietnam, a Mao, oh, Ho Chi Minh. There you go, oh. Ben Barton. Came on me. Good job. So for the tie, Ben Barton. Basketball, sneakers, Converse. The guy Converse. That guy. High who's tops. On, whose name is on the Converse? Chuck Taylor. There <laughs> it is, Ben Barton. By the way, uh, I hate this game already. <laughs> well, that's good because I only had four of them. Uh, and I so know everyone loves it. a tie, Timmy. I could tell you're a soccer fan. Big soccer fan. Go Euros. Uh, by the way, my daughter has Chuck Taylors. Both of my daughters. Oh, still. yeah, dude. Chuck Taylor. Totally. My daughters, yeah, they're too. Un they're unstoppable. Unstoppable. It, we're far away from Chuck Have you Taylors. Have Chuck relevant. Taylors lately? I played a show in them about two years ago and could barely walk. <laughs> two days there's no support it's like flat-footed yeah. the plantar fasciitis kicked in early yeah. uh well uh, another thing that happened in 1969 since we've covered every other historical event uh in the first season the mets ben barton are how many games back on august 14th in 1969 oh i love this the miracle mets uh, i'm gonna say 10 and a half games back that's terrific. They were 10 games back. They win by eight. They that go. Amazing. Who did they pass? Who collapsed? Uh, Chicago. Cubs. That was the Ernie Banks black cat summer, right? And they were Wait, finally was there a black cat? Running. Really? Yeah, black cat ran across the infield on, in late August. And, and uh, Ernie Banks tried to pick it up. And the cat scratched him and ran off. And it was the curse of the black cat. Uh, for Cubs fans, since summer 69 <laughs> is very different than for, was for, Mets, than for fans. Mets fans. Yeah. 
The Mets win. And they, beat, and they beat my Baltimore Orioles in the World Series, right? That was Brooks Robinson's Baltimore Orioles team. That Oh, yeah. that's so sad for you. Gosh. Did Brooks Robinson ever win a World Series? I think they won the next they they won it the next year, I think. So the Mets go 14 of 17 in August and 24 of 32 in September wow. to just steamroll everybody else. The Miracle Mets were of 1969. Um, speaking of which, what were your parents doing, Ben Barton, in 1969? Are they are they in Brooklyn at this time? I am born in Berkeley, California. What? Where my mom is pursuing a master's degree. Huh. And my dad is working as a paper boy, which my mom's dad tells his friends in Grand Rapids is that he's uh, in circulation for the San Francisco Chronicle. That's awesome. So, and he's in a band. I should be kind to my dad. He's in a band. I mean, you, it's a pretty good band. They open for Steve Miller. They open for Quicksilver Messenger. Ah, they're, no they're big. In, I mean, they're big locally in San Francisco. Wait, what was uh, the name of your dad's band? Winter, Spring, Summer, Fall. Huh. Four seasons. <laughs> By the uh, way, the huh was uncalled for. You could just say right. yes. <laughs> I just love that in Northern California, uh, your dad was a paper boy and you followed up as a bus driver in Northern California. Yeah, no, for sure, man. It's a, a high achieving family. Uh, Jeff Simons, what were your parents doing in 1969? My dad uh, was uh, coaching track and teaching history at the at Melbourne High School huh. uh, in Melbourne, Florida. And my mom was finishing her master's degree at the University of Florida. And then dad was drafted, I believe, 15 days after I was born. So he frantically volunteered and did uh, the Navy officer candidate school. And we moved to Newport, Rhode Island. So wow. I was only in Florida for about... I think five months before they moved. Bunch of bunch of smart. So both parents got master degrees. Yeah, my well, my dad got the full the full PhD. Mom stopped at the masters, but yeah. Okay. Wow, Timmy, let's hear about your folks. My uh, my parents were living in Montclair, New Jersey. Dad was uh, in the AC Nielsen Company doing the Mad Men thing in um, in New York and Hackensack and. And um, mom was a stay-at-home mom slash nurse, detox nurse. Really? Yeah, that's where the stories are. (laughs) Go go trying to detox, guys. All right, well, let's go to the number one. So this is is an interesting thing. It was easy to do the number one single. The album is different because sometimes an album like Thriller is going to be released in December. Right. So Thriller is not going to be the number one selling album of the year it is actually released. It'll be the number one selling album for the two years following. Yeah, uh, nice. But this, the number one selling album of 1969 stopped me in my tracks. Jeff, had you ever heard of this? Okay, yeah. Not only have I heard of this, but I um, the last time I guested on the Age Old Podcast with our, our dear friends, right? Rich and Clint, we I made fun of this song. As Unbelievable. One of the- one of the worst long form songs. One of the songs that has aged the worst. All right, so, hit it. You can see, Ben, this will take you like two seconds, Ben. It's the number one album. In Agata Devita by Iron Butterfly. 
Oh no, no way. It's yep. not in Agatha DeVita. It is indeed Iron Butterfly. Dude, when I heard that in Oregon, I was like, Oi, no, it's just nails on the chalkboard. It's worse. Unbelievable. This is the... It's so plodding. It's I'm, so bad. It makes Smoke on the Water sound like a funk song. Oh, I mean, for sure. <laughs> smoke on uh, the Water, they were like, what about it got a David if we got rid of the organ? And I'm yeah. like, that's an improvement. <laughs> that is an improvement. Um, oh, yeah. oh, uh, Jeff, Jeff, are you feeding the uh, sound through your computer? Yeah. You are? Okay, great. Um, so that's just a terrible sounding song. It's, it's a terrible sounding song. I mean, that's the other thing. I, I used to own this record because, you know, you read about it when you're my, when you're me and you're trying to listen to everything that was ever important. And I bought it for a dollar uh-huh. at uh, the record exchange. And it was, I mean, it's not worth a dollar. It's one of those songs where there's six awful songs on side one. And then side two is all this 17 minute song. Um, it's that's seven it. minutes and four seconds. That's the whole side two. And it's, I mean, even then I was like, this sucks, man. It this goes on and on. Iron Butterfly? Iron Butterfly. There's Never a great Simpsons. Do you remember the Simpsons joke about Mr. Iron Butterfly? <laughs> <laughs> what are they from? It's insane. It's so insane. The White Album came out in 69. I think Abbey no, Road came no, out Abbey in 69. White also. Album is December 68, but yeah. yeah. Abbey Road, Tommy, Led Zeppelin 2. I mean, there's... There's no, no, but I mean, I understand why Tommy and Led Zeppelin 2 wasn't the best-selling album, but I mean, the, the, the last great Beatles album doesn't, I mean, it's insane. I know, how did Iron Butterfly outsell Abbey Road? That's so w- one of the things we're going to do on this podcast is we're, we're going to say, okay, this was the number one selling album within that year, 1969. However, Ben, you point out uh, the number one selling album of all time that came out in 1969 is actually Abbey Road by the Beatles. Nice. Yeah. A contender uh, for the Tim Plain pick for 1969, but I listened to it on the way to my daughter's volleyball tournament and, and hearing it through my daughter's ears, uh, especially. She's like, why is this song going on so long? Oh, I don't even look. Just be careful with you. Okay. Like casting aspersions on abbey road in the first 10 minutes of season two ladies and gentlemen tim plain does not speak for the podcast when he complains that i want you she's so heavy goes on for too long which for some people is like one of the most significant tracks they've ever heard in their lives so okay so okay if you if you take your shoes off for the photo shoot you you've produced a wonderful album um all right this is so salty. I love it. I'm in the freaking conference room of a. He just comes out I mean. guns blazing against Abbey Road. That's where we're going to start. That's the hill you want to die on. I know. I love it. Abbey that, Road. That's Let's your go. windmill. That's the windmill. Okay. You've had it with being nice. You guys Abbey are Road, so, Octopus's Garden. Fuck those guys. You guys are so lucky. Gordon Lightfoot didn't put out an album in '69. <laughs> Our three albums. All right. Jeff Simons, kick us off. 
Is it going to be Abbey Road from you for 1969? It's not going to be Abbey Road just because oh. I, I made all these promises like, oh, I'm going to pick things that, you know, don't always get talked about. I can't come out with the Beatles. So all uh, right. here's what I'm going to pick for 1969. So this is not exactly like uh, a weirdo pick. It's a super popular record and it shows up on uh, tons of best of lists. So I'm not I'm not reinventing the wheel. But there is for some reason like these guys don't get, in my opinion, talked about enough when you talk about important soul funk R&B bands from the late 60s. So my 1969 pick is Sly and the Family Stones Stand, which is their best record by a lot. Sly and the Family Stone are primarily a singles group. If you buy a Sly Stone, or at least up until 69, if you buy any of the Sly Stone albums before this, you're going to be really disappointed. You'd be better off buying their greatest hits record but this is the first great Sly Stone record in a series of, I think there are three really great ones. There's this one. And in 1979, he puts out, there's a riot going on. And in 1973, he puts out Fresh. And at this point, Sly and the Family Stone are both musically really interesting and culturally really interesting. It's a Bay Area band. It is multiracial, which is very unusual for the time period. In fact, in terms of rock bands, the only other multiracial band that I can think of is the Allman Brothers Band in 1969. It's also multi-gendered. Well, Hendrix. I mean, the Hendrix having the white rhythm section. It's also multi-gendered. There's female musicians. There's, there's a female, there's a, there's a woman in the horn section. There's a woman singing. There's a woman playing, uh, playing guitar. That's super unusual for the time period as well. If there's a woman in the band, she's almost always the front woman and it's Janis Joplin with Big Brother and the Holding Company or it's, you know, a lead singer and a bunch of dudes playing. So the fact that Stone very deliberately put together a multiracial, multi-gendered band and presented it stuff that was deliberate on his part. He was trying to uh, be a mirror to this kind of mo summer of love moment that he was living through as a R&B DJ in San Francisco, which is where he got to start. He was like the midnight to 4 a.m. R&B DJ on San Francisco FM radio. Um, they have a huge hit right out of the box that dances to the music. By 1969, things have gotten darker, right? Like uh, the 68 is a horrible year, multiple assassinations, student, students uh, revolting all over the world about the Vietnam War. And Stand is both sides of the Sly Stone coin. Like people make fun of Sly Stone sometimes as being overly syrupy, right? And, and if you take some of these songs out of the context of the record, I get it, right? How sick are you of the song Everyday People? I mean, it, I've heard it too much. It was a car Kinda commercial sick, yeah. song in the 80s. Good call. It's, it's two minutes long. But if you hear Everyday People in the context of this record, it makes more sense. And I also, I still love that song. I, I, I know, ride for that song it's hard. It's song. On the A side of a Sly Stone single, you get this idea of like, there's a possibility for us to work through things. Like men and women can find common ground. Black folks and white folks can kind of find common ground. Like human decency and morality can actually unify people together, right? On the flip side, Stone saw all the darkness of the 60s, the drug abuse, the misogyny, the racism, like all the things he was trying to fix, he was also willing to address in his music. So this record goes back and forth and back and forth. Track one stand is this kind of call to arms to people to come together in this moment of, of turmoil and upheaval. The second song, it's called Don't Call Me N-Word Whitey. It is a six minute song. Those are the only lyrics. And it's just, it's a, it's a funk song about being, you know, being 
aware of one another's un, you know unawareness and then the third track which is the one i'm going to play for you is i want to take you higher which is one of the all time right. just great banging funk anthems sly stone steals the show at woodstock that summer um if you've ever watched the woodstock movie there's a lot of great performances but i would argue that sly's 12 minutes in that movie is is one of the most memorable they were an absolutely <clears throat> shit hot live band they play the hell out of the song um and it's a great record there's one there's one part of the record that will bum people out. Side two starts with everyday people. And then there's a 13 and a half <laughs> instrumental called Sex Machine. A okay. year before James Brown writes his Sex Machine, which oh, I think is hilarious. Right. But it's the band jamming and it's supposed to be the sound of a hookup. And it's not meant to be taken very seriously. But around that song, you get stand don't call me. I want to take you higher. Sing a simple song, everyday people, and you can make it if you try, which are just six absolute bangers. So here's the first minute of I want to take you higher from, I guess it's not underrated, but it doesn't, Sly Stone doesn't come up in the same way that uh, other artists at that moment do. And I think it's because he completely went down the cocaine rabbit hole. He moves to Los Angeles he stops touring, he becomes incredibly unreliable, and he just disappears from the face of the earth around 1974 or five. Um, and so he doesn't have, he's not in all the documentaries talking about his legacy for the last 30 years. And is so he's- Is he dead? No, he's still alive actually. He really? he, every once in a while he'll show up and play like 25 minutes of a show huh. and disappear back into Bel Air. But um, anyway, okay. I've talked enough. Here's I Want to Take You Higher by uh, Sly and the Family Stone. Let's go. Stand by Sly and the Family Stone. out gracefully but i think obviously the the guy who picks this torch up is prince like prince in the revolution is the seven oh, interesting yeah 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 is the sly and this family stone of the early 80s right multiracial, multi-gendered um a very unique worldview the yin and yang the you know uh love and sex and and seeing both sides of a coin so that's my right. nice pick good stuff ben are you a fan Oh, you're muted, Ben. Is Sly the guitarist? No, he's the keyboardist. He's the clavinet guy. Although on the records, he's playing almost everything. He plays some of the guitar and most of the bass and actually can drum a little bit. Um, but on the, in the, on the live shows, he's singing and playing like a little clavinet um, as standing up and playing it. So. And it's a backing band. He writes the songs. Yeah. But he, but in the early, at this point, the, the stone the family stone have a lot of input into the arrangements into the parts larry graham is the bass player who becomes 
the leader of Graham Central Station and actually is Prince's bassist for about eight years because they're Jehovah's Witnesses together. And like, he's definitely like, I mean, he's the one who comes up with the fuzz box idea for the bass. Like he's the first guy to use the distortion pedal. And, and uh, so there's a lot of back and forth, but he's the, he's definitely the idea, man. He's, he's the songwriter for sure. It's so sad that the, the drugs had kicked in and it just like, you're completely right. Just off a cliff, just yeah. like nothing. This is brutal. I mean, did he have aspirations to, uh, to, to take on James Brown to become like the big dog? You know, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, he's, he way outsells James Brown. Like oh. in 1970, Sly Stone is way more popular than James Brown. Like every everyday people is number one on the chart. It's not number yeah. one on the R&B chart. Like he, right, and, right. and the Woodstock movie made them stars across. I mean, and and Sly Stone, Sly and the Family Stone don't start as an R&B act that cross over to a white audience. They're a Fillmore Auditorium hippie soul band that immediately crosses over. Right, like from the get-go. it's a pop hit, not okay. a. So Brown, I mean, I, if I'm James Brown in 1970, I'm like, why the hell can't I get arrested compared to this guy? And so really <laughs> yeah. Brown, Brown fills the void that Sly Stone creates for him. Wow. All right, Ben Barton, uh, is that the best album of 1969? Oh, I'm sad to report that it's not my selection, <laughs> but I am actually happy. Uh, so I'm, <laughs> I'm glad that Jeff chose a record that people have heard of because I'm going to choose a super weird record. All right. Um, oh, God. Oh, God. Our guy, Miles Davis, is born 1926. Okay. Little town in Illinois. Grows up in East St. Louis in an upper middle class African American home. His dad's a dentist and his mom's a music teacher. When he's, he takes up the trumpet when he's like 10 or 11 and he's a prodigy. He's just amazing. His mom is super upset. She wants him to study the violin. And she wants him to go on to Fisk University where his older sister went. When he's 17, a big, I can't remember the name of the band leader, but a big band that features Art Blakey, Dizzy Gillespie, and Charlie Parker comes to St. Louis to play. And whoever wow. the trumpeter wow. is, is sick and can't play. And by sick, we assume just heroin. Like, like you won't, uh, the, uh, the Miles Davis autobiography, I'll just go ahead and recommend right now. Oh. It's so. off the hook good. Okay. Uh, it's also, it's an autobiography. So you have to take everything with like pounds of salt. I mean, but it, one reason why you might want to believe it is it's such an unflattering portrayal of him. It makes him seem just like a monster. He's just like beating up women and addicted to heroin. He's in the hospital all the time. His life is just an insane series of trials and tribulations. Anyhow, for two weeks at a St. Louis ballroom, he sits in with the world's most famous jazz musicians they move on with the tour. The trumpeter comes back. They want to take him with him. His mom won't let him go. He graduates high school. He goes to Juilliard in New York, whatever it's called. It's not called Juilliard then. He makes it two semesters. Third semester, he drops out. He's just playing with those guys. He's up in Harlem playing jazz the whole time. 1949. So he, he starts playing with these guys when he's 17. In 1949, he records, it doesn't release until the early 50s, The Birth of the Cool, which is a top 10 most influential jazz record. He creates cool jazz, the West Coast sound. 1959, he records Kind of Blue, 
easily the most famous, best-selling, best-known jazz record of all time. In 1969, he records, uh, the, it's either the best-selling or second best-selling jazz record of all time, Bitches Brew, that launches Fusion, but that's not my selection. That's because you have impeccable taste. Yes. My selection is 1969's In a Silent Way. So there's two really famous quintets and it's like one sort of driven by Coltrane and the other one sort of driven by, um, it's, a, it's the later version of it. Paul Williams, Ron Carter, Herbie Hancock. Totally. Well, and, and, and Sonny Rollins is in it for a minute. And then, um, then there's another famous saxophonist. I mean, shorter. Yeah, totally. And so he's come to the tail end of that. He's really at a crossroads at the end of the 60s and he's trying to figure out what to do. And in a silent way, launches his electric period. And it's super similar to the Dylan thing, where he has not only mastered, he's surpassed the form. He's gone so far beyond. He created cool jazz. He did bebop. He did hard bop. Now he's at a, and he's done all this amazing, like really, really, really big band instrumental work. And he's, he's at sixes and nines. He can't figure out what to do with himself. It's a one day recording session for in a silent way. And he adds all these new guys. So he's got Chick Corea. He adds Herbie Hancock. Um, but most Zavinal. important, right? Joseph Zavanal, who brings in a bunch of tunes, including in a silent way. Um, and then it's John McLaughlin. That's the name of the guitarist, yeah. Jeff. Yeah. He brings in John McLaughlin, this white British guitarist. And, and everybody's electric. He's like, this is an electric album. We're doing it electric. They come in, they record it in one day. They've later released a three disc complete version of it which I kind of don't recommend because there's some, I mean, they record it all day and a bunch of the stuff is bad. I'll just be frank. The album's amazing though. I'm not going to choose anything on the, where there's a song on the album that's 13 minute instrumental called Sex Machine. Um, so uh, they record a bunch of things, including the original version of In Silent Way, which is Joe Zawinul tune. And he's super famous. He played with Cannibal Adderley. He's like a great arranger and piano player. And the original version of it is just a really straight ahead jazz song. They, uh, Davis is not satisfied at all. The, the uh, melody from the song is all trumpet in the original version. He's like, I don't want to play at all on it. He has the entire thing redone as an electric guitar piece with McLaughlin playing the melody, but also just meandering. Like, uh, it's my favorite song by a country mile. After we play it, I'll explain why it's my favorite song by a country mile. But the entire record is like this. It's like this demented deconstruction, not only of jazz, but of music. This song is like, I'm sure like actual experts in ambient music will say I'm wrong. This song bursts ambient music. Like this is the beginning of that entire thing. It's so incredibly beautiful. It's the sound of like the birth of a star. It's just incredible. Jeff, in a silent way. In a Silent Way by Miles Davis.
So I love this record. And in particular, I love that song. Um, when the girls were little and they couldn't sleep, I would play that song. Like it was like a lullaby to them. And I, by the way, after it's like five and a half minutes or maybe it's four and a half minutes, it goes into a really like, it goes into a whole different song. So believe me, vigilance was necessary when I was playing this as a lullaby. <laughs> but I would play this as a lullaby on loop and the girls loved it. And then when I got into yoga and I started doing yoga at home, this is the end. This is the Shavasana. This is the rest and relaxation song. And now I do it with Georgia. And so I must have heard this song all the way to the end before the fast part comes in. Like I've probably heard this song more than any other song in my life. And I strongly recommend a choosing a weird instrumental and just memorizing it. Like I can hum every note. Like I could do the, the weird keyboard part that over the top of the guitar part. I can sing each note of the guitar part. Later, it's about, we're literally like, it's probably, we're about a minute and 15 seconds away from the trumpet coming in. I can whistle that entire thing. Like, it's just a beautiful, amazing, deep work of art that the, the longer you experience it, the more you enjoy it, the richer it is. Like, it's just a spectacular, amazing, beautiful song. Uh, the whole record, like there's there are more up-tempo songs on the record. There's nothing that's more straightforward though. The record is super weird. I'll just go ahead and be frank about it. Um, but especially in comparison to Bitches Brew, let alone the mid '70s stuff where he just wanders off into like it's not even atonal. It's angry tonal. It's just like super dissonant <laughs> and mad at you. Angry um, bird. This tone. one's so pretty and beautiful, but also atonal and also ambient. Like I just love this record. I love this pick. I was gonna. Tr I was thinking about writing for Jack Johnson in 1971, which is the other moment. Like, Bitches Brew is fascinating, but it is hard to listen to. It's also a double record. But I really like um, the Jack Johnson record that comes in 71, which is before things get really crazy, before On the Corner and 2-2 and that stuff in the mid-70s. But Ben's totally right about this record. This is my favorite Miles Davis record after Kind of Blue. Um, and uh, for all the reasons that he said, I experience it as two songs. Like, it's funny, you say like there's short songs and fast songs. Like, I, I just listen to In a Silent Way, like side one and side two. And usually, I, you know, unfortunately I, I have to, I don't have the attention span. Like I pick one side or the other, but I much prefer side two to side one. I think this is the, you picked it not only right one and you don't know this, but I practice improving on the bass to this song this is, is that true songs. really yeah one of the songs when i'm really trying to stretch and write new parts or just grow i will just uh turn my bass on really low and play along to in a silent way and find all kinds of new stuff so i'm right there with you i love this pick great stuff i i don't know what the hell's going on right now <laughs> <laughs> i mean we we had the board meeting where we talked about trying to expand our audience and grow our audience. Like, first of all, you just pooped on Abbey Road. I'm not hearing anything from you. All right. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, that was that was interesting. You you, you had me with uh, trying to get the girls to bed to that song, and of course, I was sitting here listening to that after driving on 95 today. I'm like, oh man, I'm. I'm fading here. I'm going to sleep right now. But then you can't. You have to be vigilant as the parent because if you fall asleep, then it's going to get to the loud part of the song. Um, 
But uh, one thing you said that I found really compelling, Ben, we should all memorize a song, an instrumental song in our lives. Why? What, what is the value in that for us? Well, it's like, obviously you want to choose one you like, but basically, and this one's a particularly rewarding one because of the depth of the artistic expression. You know what I mean? Right. But the first, and I, like, I, like, I, I apologize to the other listeners who have never heard that song. The first time through, it's, it's, it's a little bit weird. You're like, well, it's pretty. Like that alone sort of right. helps. And actually it's sort of like, thank you, Tim. I'll tell a longer story. You, <laughs> you hooked me up here. Uh, I would bring the girls to see art. And when you get to modern art, uh-huh. they're really out. Yeah. And some of it, I understand some of it's not like, it's not pretty. You can't experience it. It's splatter. You're not enjoying that. But Picasso I ride for. And uh, George in particular was like this Picasso sucks. I don't understand this. That doesn't look like a woman that doesn't look like a guitar. And then the later stuff where it's just a bird. She's like, that looks like I drew that in fourth grade, third grade. Like I hate this. We went to the Picasso museum and you go through all of his stuff where he starts and then he goes through the blue period and then he moves on. And the lesson from Picasso and Miles Davis is a perfect version of this too, is you have to master the form and learn the rules to subvert the rules. And mm-hmm. then when you subvert the rules, it comes from a place of deep understanding. Oh, That's the difference between the bullshit versus the real art. And this is a perfect example of that. Like it's such an interesting, like taking it all apart and putting it back together. Um, and it just rewards multiple listens. Like each right. time you hear something new, and now I've heard it so many times that I don't hear anything new, but it's mesmerizing. Like it continues to draw me in. And like it, as a meditative state, it's perfect music right. for a meditative state. Because you can come, like, you know how, like, at least for me, I get distracted easily. So I like, I'm, I'm in my thoughts, but then I come out and I'm like, oh, listen to that. And then I go back in, you know, it <laughs> yeah. just keeps draw, <laughs> looping me. It's beautiful. Which is why it's it's fascinating that you uh, you're so derisive of jam bands because you just described how people who oh. there are people who feel exactly that way about the jam bands that they're endlessly like that the whole point is the length and the endless re- repetition of form and it's interesting because I couldn't agree more like the best class I had at Haverford was my principles of tonal harmony class. Um, where we just uh, spent three weeks listening to Brahms's violin concerto with the score. We spent three weeks studying it and all the different movements. And I can, I mean, I know every part of that, like, like the back of my hand since I was 19 years old. And the point is the memorization. The point is the mastery of the score so that you can start to hear all the notes he didn't choose as well as all the notes he did choose. And I mean, that's, you just described, I think why we're lifelong music fans, so. My kids love the modern art, by the way. Exactly. <laughs> ah, the that's great. They love wow. the splashy colors. Like Will's favorite room is the modernists. He he has no time for the, you know, the uh, beatific virgins of the 15th century. Well, welcome, All right, Timmy, man. What's your album, buddy? Welcome to our podcast. Um, we have elevated our game. Apparently, I've the only instrumental song I've memorized is the hustle. Uh, but that's because I have the body uh, movement. You know the whole Miami Vice muscle. soundtrack too. The whole Miami Vice theme song. Oh, I do like a little. What's his name? Hans something. Hans Zimmer. Yeah. So we we've got a, a passionate a listener who emailed me, and um, I've been in communication with him about 1969. He started rattling off all these great albums uh, because he knew I was struggling. 
what I've discovered in this season two is I don't like the album. I don't know. Like you tell us. Now you tell gentlemen. us. Enjoy so, your lives. Because so a person, a person is recording something and it's this statement, their artistic statement at this time period. But here's the thing. You guys have taught me through season one how much economic concerns weigh on the artist. And so sometimes you're going to have uh, rushed uh, production and sometimes you're going to have, well, let's just uh, throw that song on. Uh, Jeff, you killed me talking about the Beatles and Abbey Road that Let It Be and The Long and Winding Road are, are recorded during those sessions, but don't make the album. They recorded beforehand. No, they're a whole separate session that they were going to trash because they were fighting through the whole thing. So then they're fighting through Abbey Road. The whole Abbey time. Road is the attempt to go out on a high note. Like the Beatles go in to record Abbey Road knowing this is it. They're breaking up, but they don't want to end on a dud. So they, uh -huh. let, they rally together like, let's go out. Let's close the 60s. One more record. Make it great. And then well, they, with the intention of splitting up like a month after it comes out. It reminded me going through all this of being a little kid and getting up and skipping songs, you know, and, and, and getting that skill as a little kid of like, oh, I have to bring it to this line to get rid of the shit and get to the next song that I like. Cause I don't want to listen to that. I don't, I don't want to endure the, the two minutes and 45 seconds of that song. I'm just going to skip over it. So I've had a miserable month trying to pick my favorite albums um, for the last 50 years. And I got to tell you, <laughs> favorite songs are going to weigh on me and favorite songs can carry me um, as long as there's not something um, offensive. I, I, need a, I need a go to song. I need a strong second song. Maybe even a third song. I don't know. But here's, <laughs> by the here's way, what everyone, I did. River Run available where all music is listened to. <laughs> um, by the way, everything you said about my record is obviously a lie. You're like, skip, 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 skip. <laughs> no, that's different. I'm more mature now. Oh, that's different. So 1969, I went with an artist uh, who I had already picked. But I came back to him and... And uh, Michael Jorgensen, when he was our guest, talked about, uh, you know, discovering an artist at the wrong time. This is the first album I owned by Bob Dylan. So I thought Bob Dylan had a little uh, country edge. I find it so much more interesting that he's experimenting on Nashville Skyline um, based on where he was. Are you, why are you laughing at me? I'm not laughing at all. I'm muting myself and preparing to play songs from Nashville Skyline. You liar. You liar. I actually thought living in uh, my tiny Vegas apartment that I was, I was expanding my horizons. I was listening to a little country jam. Nashville Skyline by Bob Dylan. Just you and me Now 
And I should I should mention to Nick to Mick who who really wanted me to pick Let It Bleed. I can't pick Let It Bleed because I picked a single from that album in season one. So if you pick a single from the album, you cannot pick the album. Uh, Nashville Skyline, uh, go ahead. I mean, you're complaining about Abbey Road having filler. And you're going to ask people, the good news about Nashville Skyline, everyone, is it's 27 minutes long. It it's is a quick one. It's which... the shortest LP. I'm not, I mean, it isn't an LP. It's a freaking ripoff. It's so short. And um, so it will go by very quickly. Yeah. That's... I mean, this is the ultimate. I have time to listen to an record. album. Man, this record is so full of filler. Like there's good songs in here, but there's, it starts with a cover of a song he's already done with Johnny Cash sitting in. Like it tells you everything you need to know about where Dylan was in in, uh, in 69. That he respects you Johnny burn Cash. Your, burn your Dylan pick with this one? I mean, you're a man who's gonna struggle to pick a record for the next 51 years. You just got rid of Blood on the Tracks, Oh Mercy, Time Out of Mind, Love and Theft, Modern Times. Like you had some options coming up and you I, went with Nashville Skyline? I can't, I can't pick Time Out of Mind. Uh, so I had already burned that and I have, I'm, I'm ready to to recover on those particular years but i'm i'm perfectly happy with bob dylan 1969 perfectly happy i'm also i'm happy to report that my beloved wife indy kincannon will be very pleased yes this is her favorite bob dylan record yeah <laughs> she she really really likes it um and i get that and i like this is this is a tough one this is your best album of the year um but i i hear you Tell I hear me. you for sure. And also, what, I, like, I like I should have been clear. I mean, Let It Bleed would have been my, that's my favorite record from this year too. So Yeah, but you I, can't pick that either. Yeah. I mean, I could, under my rules, I'm going to pick some like that, but I just didn't want to do it this year. I really do love the, the record I chose. This one I think is fine. Jeff, is there another, what, isn't there an earlier 69 one from by Dylan? Dylan? No, he puts out self-portrait at the very beginning of 1970, which is all the outtakes from New Morning and Nashville Skyline. New Morning is January 1970. Okay. Well, that's the one you pick. Yeah. New Morning is is actually a, a really interesting, pretty good record. Yeah, but you and can't what, get there without Nashville Skyline. What's the record Skyline. before Nashville Skyline? <laughs> what's that? Is it Blonde on Blonde, the record before? No, it goes Blonde on Blonde, Motorcycle Accident, Basement Tapes, okay, John Wesley it. Harding, Nothing for a Year, Nashville Skyline, Self-Portrait, New Morning, and then another big nothing, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid soundtrack, and then Planet Waves reunion tour with the band in 74 and the careers rebooted. So there's a there's actually the way to introduce this music to folks. Um, you know, Dylan's been doing this bootleg series where they they take the years in question and put out like everything but the kitchen sink. This era is now compiled in something called another self-portrait where they take some of the best recordings from the Nashville Skyline sessions and self-portrait and new morning, and they strip away all the bad overdubs and they remix them. And there's a huh. couple of just phenomenal performances 
from that, proving once again that Dylan had no idea what to put on his own records sometime. He's a terrible huh. editor of his own work, but... Uh, I tell you, though, I like um, his singing on this, and I know you've defended his singing style before. Don't you think his, his vocals are pretty good? I hate his singing on this record for all the reasons Jesus that you like Christ. it. Oh he's God. singing like this, like he sings like Kermit on the whole thing. Oh, he I does not. <laughs> it's like you know there's the whole thing about dylan quit smoking for a year which is why his voice sounds like this on this record and people are like well he if he could just why doesn't he just sing like nashville skyline like it's not his it's not the voice of his art like he sounds like a guy trying to sound like a guy who sings on nashville skyline instead of sounding like bob dylan which is what he sounds like on all the other ones so i actually i find his voice distractingly odd on this record because he's doing a thing like he doesn't sound whatever colors you have in your mind like it just it doesn't sound like an authentic vo voice to me oh, you know, it's, it's a weird it's, totally like it is a, it's a super funny left turn in his catalog right a catalog that's filled with left turns and u-turns and dead ends and everything yeah. else but i mean right. this one really came out of nowhere and it's definitely it's kind of cheesy and it's real lounge acty, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's definitely like, hey, what do we like? Also, I, I like, I, I just wish I had a fly on the wall. Like, hey, I'm gonna do a country thing. And they're like, really? And he's like, oh yeah, and these are the songs. They're like, okay, Bob. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. I love the guy, the engineer tells me everything I need to know. Is it rolling, Bob? Like, they're just like, yeah. let's, let's, let's just be professionals until this guy decides this record is over. <laughs> That's great. All right, guys. Well, we're back together. Yeah, Timmy. Uh, we yeah. might not agree on our picks, but we agree that it's good to be back together. And uh, we, we got to set up more dates in the uh, in the coming weeks of our travels. For sure. And I'm Congrats. super excited to have the unanswerable question be uh, replaced with "Who died." <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that'll be very cheerful. That's going to be really good. We're getting closer. Who be dead? Who be dead this year, Ben Barker? We're getting closer. I love it. Yeah. As we, when we're like 65, it'll be like, how did they die? <laughs> what how were did the, they die? What were their last know. words? All right, guys. Uh, I will see you next week for 1970. Do you, Indeed. you've already got your picks? Already got my pick. I, already pick. I want to pick first 70 and 71 because there's a chance I need to hook in front of Jeff for those. I felt oh, good yeah. about this year. Let I felt go. confident this year I was that Jeff wouldn't pick it, but next year and the year after I'm worried. So that's fine. Okay. You can have the first pick. I've got backups for every year just in case. So yeah, yeah. Tim, me if too. you would like me, if we would like me to give you a listening uh assignment so you can have a pick moving I've forward. got I've got lots of backups. Every year I got backups. <laughs> I'm worried about how cranky you are in episode one of this whole thing. Like, I thought you liked to learn. You like you're like you're like hesitant to the whole conceit yeah. of the full length. Yeah. Art art. Huh. Oh, and also, Timmy, let me just go ahead and say, uh -huh. I I would never get up and skip a song. I suffered right. through it, and Jeff will agree with me. Totally. I, I I assume your family was extremely wealthy because when I bought a record, <laughs> I was like, well, that's it. Like that's that was my money for the month. I like yeah. Like when I bought I the Loverboy record, on the money. when I bought yeah. the Loverboy record, I was like, that seventh song in the Loverboy record, I better learn to like it because that's <laughs> my only option. That's <laughs> so me as well. You All I have is this record, and I'm just going to listen weekend. to it. Yeah, you need you need to embrace it. 
when you bought oh. a crappy record, you know, when it was like without Spotify, you oh. can't even describe what a punishment. It, it was. was so heartbreaking. The worst one for me was um, After the Fire, the band that did Der Komazar. <laughs> oh, I, yeah. I impulse bought that. And uh, boy, that record's garbage. And I mean, I was trying so hard, trying so hard to like track four. I was like, oh, I can't. That that should be an interesting. We'll have to do that at some point. The the worst three albums you've ever purchased. Huh. Nice. All right, guys. I will talk to you later. You guys get to bed. Okay, yeah. Get your sleep. Yeah. If you're having as much fun as we are, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us a rating on Spotify, iHeartRadio. Wherever you listen to podcasts, give us a shout. And then check us out on Twitter or at our Facebook page, 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us, from renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.